is Winning Slowly, taking a long view on technology, religion, ethics, and art, because doing good work takes time. I'm Chris Kreitcho. And I'm Stephen Caradini, and this is Season 4, Episode 10, and today we are going to talk about... And by that we mean rant about... Populism and social media. This is particularly relevant because today we are in North Carolina voting for the presidential candidates, as well as many other candidates on the ballot. But seeing as America is ensconced in a bout of populism and uh, it's relevant to what we're doing today, we thought we would bump this one up the list and take this one on. I voted. You voted. Neither I've, of us voted for that person we'll talk about later in the episode. That's right. That's because right. We're, no. no, we're not populists, which is funny because in some ways we kind of are populists, <laughs> but we're not populists in the way that like we're going to talk about populism. So let's, let's cut to the chase. Let's talk about populism. What we're actually talking about today. So we are very interested in digital media going all the way back to season zero, episode one. We're really fascinated about how people use the internet. And social media is somewhere between 15 and 10 years old, depending on how you want to think about web 2.0 as a concept and over those 10 years we have seen a lot of people get on social media various ones twitter facebook all the other minor ones that come along with it and we've seen also a market uprising in populism now these things wouldn't seem to be correlated or causal except that if you go on any social media you will get pounded in the face with populism and I mean, maybe we kind of should have expected this. I didn't in, in the I, last... I did not expect this. I, d- I'm I just didn't expect be real. it either. And I've read all <laughs> the think pieces about social... And by all, obviously, I don't mean all, all. I mean most all. Uh, I've read an awful lot of think all. pieces. Of, uh, so some variety of all. I've read a good approximation of all the think pieces about how social media is changing us and changing our public discourse and making it more shallow and all of these things. And I even agree with a fair number of them. But I don't remember reading even one in the last decade in which i've been following this and paying attention to it that said you know guys you know what the really likely outcome of this is populism, populism. <laughs> that just wasn't a thing that people were talking about and no. to be fair it the kind of populism that we've seen manifested online has roots that include lots of things that aren't part of social media and has roots that include the internet as an economic shaping force and we've we've touched on that in some previous episodes this season and previous seasons But none of the think pieces said, look, guys, we're going to see this massive upswell in populism that affects both the right and the left in equal, albeit differently shaped measures, and it's going to be a really big deal. Just not a thing that people were predicting. We didn't predict that we were going to overthrow established parties in countries as stable as Germany. Uh, That happened recently, that there's a whole lot of populism that didn't exist 10 to 15 years ago that just unseated some of Merkel. Merkel's party, again, because of some populist issues that are going on there that we talked about recently in countries like Britain with the Brexit, which is impending, places like Australia that are still in the midst of denying that climate change is affecting their country, even though it obviously is in some very clear ways whoa did we just take a position on global warming uh i just said australia and (laughs) i'm not an australian but maybe (laughs) do carry on so there's a lot of ways that populism has appeared not only in america but over the globe and correspondingly causal no 
correlated, maybe. At the same time, the discourse that goes on in public well, I almost said public media because, like, <laughs> social media are public media, but public media is not social NPR media. NPR is NPR. not the same as Facebook. Yeah, no, not not <laughs> at all. Um, brought to you by viewers like you, unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately. For better or for worse. Yeah. So this sort of discourse manifests itself all the time. If you're on Facebook, you've probably blocked some people. If you're on Twitter, you've probably just like rolled your eyes and scrolled by this stuff. But we're fascinated by not just what they're saying, because there's all sorts of crazy and somewhat reasonable and very unreasonable and the whole gamut (laughs) of things that they're saying. But what we're more interested in here at Winning Slowly is not, wow, isn't that weird? But wow, how do we respond if we're not populists of this particular garrulous, strident, occasionally violent sort of rhetoric. Right. And I think it's fair to say as we start that we're not for a second pinning everything on social media. As I mentioned a moment ago, there are many factors. Right. But I think it's fair to say that someone probably should have seen some of this coming because – As I joked with Stephen before we started recording, giving everyone a voice is almost, not quite, but almost the definition of populism. The internet has had, from the get-go, a democratizing force in its allowing people to express themselves to whomever, whenever, and wherever they wish, and nothing has accelerated that so profoundly as the advent of things like social media, things like Facebook and Twitter especially. Democracy is working, and it's really hard. (laughs) (laughs) And the democratization of discourse has had many good effects. We've talked about those in the past as well. And we don't for a second think that that trade-off isn't worth it, But there is certainly a trade-off. When you give everyone a microphone, as many think pieces have noted, you get a fair bit of bad that comes with it. Right. But one of the effects that seems to come with it is a mob mentality that can arise. We've seen this happen, especially on Twitter, where you'll have hordes of people come crash in and descend on an unsuspecting user who said something that one group or another found offensive. And it doesn't particularly matter what the ideological affiliations are. You can be a feminist getting attacked by the Gamergate hordes. You can be a conservative getting attacked by people who think you're a complete hater of this party or that. You can be a fairly sensible person saying that maybe racism isn't cool and get swarmed by neo-Nazis. You can be almost anyone, almost anywhere, on almost any point of political, religious, or other affiliation and get swarmed and mobbed by people who not only profess disagreement with you, but threaten to kill rape, maim, etc. you because of their deep ideological disagreement with you. This is a pathological form of populism, but it's an increasingly common one on the internet. And sad to say, what we've seen both in the United States and elsewhere is that it is also increasingly common not on the internet. And we think the two are probably at least, well, we know they're correlated, and we think they're probably connected. Yeah, and that's particularly relevant to, as I was saying, the ongoing elections with Mr. Donald Trump, who is 
basically the rock star can we say that rock star of populism <sighs> is yes. that i maybe someone is trying to contest that uh, globally but uh he definitely has a extremely magnetic draw for people who are angry populists there's a broad crowd of less angry populists who think bernie sanders is their bro yeah that's true uh, and it's kind of funny that sometimes the the ends of the spectrum like meet up in the middle <laughs> like it's kind of a loop in that eventually you have similar sorts of concerns. Uh, but that's a whole other episode that I would love to take on some other time. And to be clear, we think Bernie Sanders, whatever policy disagreements we have with him, is about a billion times cooler than Donald Trump. Yeah, uh, mostly in that he doesn't threaten to punch people right. from the stage of various campaign platforms. We'll link a great video from the show notes of Bernie Sanders seeing a man pass out on stage and immediately running over to see if he's okay. Bernie Sanders is a nice person. Yeah, he's, <laughs> we he like is, that. He is he is a nice man, and so it, it's really interesting to think about as you're processing our national sort of quirk or concern or whatever you want to call it to think about how we react to people who in the shorthand like trump but in the longer form how do we respond to people who are angry populists who are very very provincial about particular issues that we feel very strongly about that you shouldn't be provincial. These could be immigration, these could be gun rights, these could be healthcare, these could be any number of things. Right. But the inability to have a reasoned discussion with somebody who you disagree with and instead devolve into insulting them is the sort of angry populism that we believe Trump espouses and that we see on the internet. Yeah. And it's worth note that we're going to start by and end by holding to what we always say here. We don't demonize people for their opinions. We might condemn the way that people express their opinions. And we have done that before on the show. We will do that now mm -hmm. on the show. And we will do it again in the future for the show. The way we do things matters. But right. having a different opinion from Stephen or me on healthcare or gun control or any other of these very contentious issues is not in and of itself the problem. The problem is an inability to discuss these things reasonably as human beings with an attitude of kindness and charity toward the people with whom we disagree, however strongly we disagree. Right. And it's, to be fair, it's really difficult to look someone and say, you want different things than I do, and that scares me. Because there are definitely conversations that you can have with people who believe very differently than you that genuinely scare you. Yeah. That is a thing that I have experienced and that Chris has experienced, and it's just a reality of attempting to have political, democratic discourse of a kind and gentle nature. Right. Especially in an increasingly diverse society. That's just a thing you have to deal with, and it is hard. Right. Democracy is difficult. It means that we have to engage in these really difficult conversations that aren't very much fun. We talked about that already this season. You we can did. go back and listen to The Price of Democracy if you want to hear us tackle that in detail. Indeed. However, when you're dealing with this sort of populism, there are many ways to engage with it. And on Winning Slowly, we generally posit that you should be generous and charitable, as we've said earlier, and you should try to create contact. You should try to be 
open and talk with people. This is how democracy works. However, there are times when you're dealing with angry, occasionally violent rhetoric of populism that you have to not engage. There's a saying on the internet that we would like to quote for your benefit today. Don't feed the trolls. Indeed. The, the ancient wisdom of Usenet still yes. applies still applies it, it may only be ancient by internet standards but that's it true. still applies right there are some people who just want to fight and that's a real thing you can pick a fight with a lot of people on the internet we don't think you should right now we do think that you should engage with people when you can in settings where you can have reasoned scary but reasoned discourse yeah and one of the things that is extremely important is that context are you in a spot are you in a medium and that medium might be a phone call that medium might be a face-to-face -face conversation i'm using it very generically here are you in a medium where you can have that reason to discourse right some people's facebook walls are that some people's twitter feeds at least at some times under certain conditions can be that a direct message can be that yeah. but it's fair to say that many facebook wall posts aren't that most yeah. twitter interactions aren't that both because of the brevity with which you're forced to carry on the conversation 140 characters just isn't very much yeah and because it's a public place where you will have not just can but will have random passers-by shouting comments at you as you're trying to carry on this discussion that's a great mental image you can you can think of being trying to have a good important serious conversation with a friend running with that mental image in a park <laughs> and having random passers-by walk up hear a snippet of the conversation and shout profanities at you like, <laughs> what that's basically twitter when you're trying to talk about say gun control or abortion or gay marriage or pick a topic that's controversial and try to have a, a reasoned discourse about it it's not impossible even mm. if all of the ordinary interlocutors in the conversation are having a good conversation right someone else is going to drive by rape threat you and i don't use that lightly i use that descriptively as a thing that happens every day on twitter yeah it's discomforting yeah and i mean there are a lot of systematic things that twitter needs to do to address that but even apart from that, we're just saying as people who are dealing with the system as it is, dealing with the fact that this kind of populism exists and this kind of mob mentality is very common, both at large and specifically on certain social media, engage wisely. And engaging wisely means maybe engage offline, maybe engage via an email, maybe engage in person or via a phone call or some of these other media that are perhaps less convenient, mm -hmm. but are much better suited to the kinds of discourse that we have to have when we're dealing with what may be very legitimate concerns, however badly expressed, that may be legitimate and justifiable differences of opinion, even if we hope to persuade people. Right. We have to do that in a way that has a chance of being effective and shouting into the starscream void that is twitter is just <laughs> probably not that yeah that also brings us to the point where when we think about populism we have to make a subtle but important distinction which is kind of winning slowly in a nutshell again subtle but important distinctions right reasonable having a reason for something does not mean that the ends are justifiable so 
having a reason for something, having a reason to be angry over the direction of the United States for the past 30 years, that makes you have a reasonable stance. Like there's a reason there. However, reasonable is sometimes construed to mean that this is justifiable. So this is something that is just in the strictest sense of the word, as well as understandable or passable or condonable in our society. Pro tip, you could be really grumpy about the last 30 years of economic trajectory and things like that in America, and it doesn't make Donald J. Trump okay. Is his middle name start with a J? It does. There you go. I'm sorry. I just had a moment where I I never thought about <laughs> Donald Trump having a middle name before. <laughs> Today on Winning Slowly, you learned. <laughs> I, there you go. But that's, yeah, what Chris said. Just because you have a reason to be angry doesn't mean that Donald Trump is a good idea. Just because it's really upsetting to have your small German hamlet overrun with more refugees than you can handle doesn't mean it's okay to inflict violence on them. Right. Yeah, there's a reason there and and it's even understandable and we get it, but that doesn't make a, a given response justifiable. Right. It's not condoned. We don't yeah. we don't allow this sort of activity. And I think that's a really difficult distinction to parse on the internet, but just in general, <laughs> in that there, it, it seems like in our logic-driven, reason-driven, Descartes-esque, post-Descartes society, that if you have a reason, then of course, everything that comes afterwards is fine. Logic, reason, A to B, things go and things go. And it's hard to kind of parse that out a bit because it's so ingrained in how we think about everything from computers, which are A to B logic, to the way that we interact with making decisions as uh, modern Americans, which is very different than people 100 or 150 or 200 years ago made decisions. It's very hard to parse out the difference between this is a, a real thing that I have a real problem with and my idea about what we should do about it is also not the right idea. <laughs> yeah. And and I think that distinction is one that is especially hard to make in the context of things like Twitter. Right. Precisely because of that lack of context and that inability to express nuance. Right. And it's the kind of conversation you can have, hopefully, with a friend or a relative or an acquaintance offline when you sit down and are able to say, yeah, I get why you're angry. Here's why I think that the things that you're doing in response to that anger are only going to make things worse. Things like tone of voice and eye contact and the ability to really genuinely show sympathy in a way that text alone just can't do. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of these things, maybe a handwritten letter could convey just because of the seriousness and import that that conveys in our culture. But Almost any sort of digital communication, simply because of the imprecision of text and the inability to convey certain kinds of nuance or emotion in text, even in a way that handwriting can convey in, in that you can see when somebody's emotional from the shape their handwriting takes if you know their handwriting well. Mm -hmm. Those kinds of things are all so thoroughly lost in a purely digital medium that we just need to be cognizant of that. And we do need to engage sometimes. Mm-hmm. 
but we need to actively disengage in the context where engaging might not just not make things better, but might actively make things worse. We need to be willing to take that course of wisdom and say, look, I'm not going to demonize you for supporting Trump. I'm going to try to understand why you might be inclined to support Trump, but I'm going to engage with you, not in this context, in that context right. over there. And do that in a way that says, I'm not just being an elitist snob and therefore feeding all the things that make you angry right now because you feel like elitist snobs have ruined the country. And if I just slam you from my ivory tower over here, I'm just going to make it worse. And if I get a mob to pile on to you of my elitist friends, I'm just going to make it worse. And if I poke at you in such a way that you and your populist friends come after me and feel good and justified because of the cathartic experience of going after someone on the internet, that's just going to make it worse. No, we have to take that step back and say, how, if I am going to engage, can I do it in a constructive way? Right. How how, if I am going to engage, can I do it in a way that is actually likely to help this person change their mind, help this person understand that those who disagree with them aren't wicked for disagreeing with them, mm -hmm. but are genuinely disagreeing for reasonable reasons? Right. And so there's there's a permanent tension here mm -hmm. between the idea of being right and the idea of compromise and the idea of people's perceptions of reality. There's there's a lot of tension when someone feels that the way that they perceive reality is A, bad because of these other people, um, and yeah. B, as a result, they don't want their opinion of their reality to be changed in an interpretive way. They want it changed in a physical way. Um, and so there are times when having even a personal conversation can break down it's true um, if you've if you've ever been if you've ever been to a family reunion you know this <laughs> there are times when even physical conversation about these matters can break down and at that point you have to say i have i have done my best to be faithful to being earnest and kind and open-minded open-hearted but also holding that i think this is right and I think you are wrong. Yeah. And and the biggest thing there, I think, is going back to where we started and saying, don't demonize people, even right. if you think they're profoundly wrong. I can right. look at someone on the other side of, to take a, a topic that, again, people know where I stand on. On the other side of the abortion issue, I can think someone is deeply, profoundly wrong with really serious, grievous consequences, and yet not demonize them as someone who's just seeking the greatest possible wickedness. I don't, I don't have to do that. I don't have to make that move emotionally, internally right. to say that someone is seriously wrong. Those, the one doesn't necessarily follow from the other. You can still enjoy Star Wars together. Truly. And so that's one important caveat is that beyond the internet being a terrible place, sometimes even in person, this doesn't work out the way that you would like it to work out. And that's just the reality of interacting is that sometimes these things take place yep. over a very long period of time and change happens slowly. Sometimes things never change. And that's just a tough thing. And welcome so welcome to living with humans. Welcome to living with humans. So there's definitely a point where the things that we're saying are sort of uh, idealistic realism, as we <laughs> hit on a couple weeks ago. 
But there's also a point where if you don't try to make those steps forward, then we go farther in opposite directions. And at least at some level, having an interaction with people who are different than us stops in some ways. Sometimes sometimes things don't go the way we want them to. But the best potential outcome of having these difficult conversations in a context where people can actually express their minds freely and safely is that people at least don't go backwards and that people potentially go forward or that if neither party goes in either direction, that at least they're able to say, wow, I talked with a person who doesn't believe the same thing as me and it turned out fine. <laughs> and that is a shockingly big deal at times. It's a shockingly big deal. And I think that regardless of whether change occurs from either party because we've all been in conversations where both people were setting out to like convince each other and that <laughs> like those those conversations are often entertaining but not often going in any particular direction of change for either party <laughs> true but there's still value in having those conversations saying like hey i wish you believe this I think it's reasonable and important for X, Y, and Z reasons. I think your point is not good for X, Y, and Z reasons. And the other person saying, I wish you would believe my thing. I think it's good <laughs> for X, Y, and Z reasons. I think your thing is wrong for X, Y, and Z reasons. All right, let's go get some dinner. Like, and that let's go get some dinner is a good plan. Yeah. And so that's really what we're we're hoping that this sort of conversation turns into. Not that it becomes more and more polarized, more and more separated, uh, more and more slotted is the technical term in political parlance, but that people actually do reach across to somebody who they don't believe the same things as and are able to have conversations about that because we think that's how yeah. discourse works in a society, particularly in a democratic society. And I made yep. a reference earlier that, uh, you know, democracy is working and uh, it, it's hard and <laughs> it is. Democracy Truly. is difficult and it, it there are responsibilities that you have in being a part of a democracy. One of them is voting and others are engaging with people who don't believe the same thing as you because that's the foundation of democracy is engaging directly or indirectly, indirectly being voting, directly being talking to people, the other side of the political process. Yeah. And do it wisely. Do it well. Do remember, as we've said from the very first episode of Winning Slowly Forward, that context matters. Don't don't try to tackle all the problems in the same way. Go have that conversation over dinner or go have that conversation before dinner so that you can chill out and just have a good time afterward. Right, right. Ironically, the music at the beginning of the episode was Optimist by Wanderwild. We used it with permission. Please don't use it without permission. On the other hand, you should remember something we used to say all the time, but don't usually these days. All of our content is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution License, including the Winning Slowly theme, so you can do whatever you want with it. And you should. Seriously. If you remix the Winning Slowly theme, send it to me. Send it to us. We'll use it on the show. We'd love that. Yeah, we would. Thanks to Andrew Fallows and Jeremy W. Sherman for sponsoring the show this month. If you would like to sponsor the show, you can do so by pledging monthly at patreon.com slash winning slowly, or you can give a one-off at cash.me slash dollar sign winning slowly. Still, always and forever, 10% of our support goes to keep the Internet Archive up. Why? Because the Wayback Machine at archive.org 
is amazing. If you like the show, do us a favor, rate and review it on iTunes. It'll help other people find it. Or of course, you can just recommend us in your favorite podcast app directory, or you could just tell a friend. Any one of those would be great. You can find the show notes for this episode with links to the things we talked about, including Bernie Sanders being a stand-up dude, the music, and so on at winningslowly.org slash 4.10. Last but not least, we love hearing from you, dear listeners. You should send us your thoughts, even on Twitter, even on Facebook. Or you can always (laughs) shoot us an email at hello at winningslowly.org. And as always, thanks for listening. But it doesn't make it okay. But it doesn't make it no, okay. It doesn't make it okay. No, it really doesn't. It doesn't make it okay. I'm trying to see how high I can go on the. I know. I know. How high? Can how you high? Go? How high? Pretty. Okay, now that's pretty a little, darn. That's, that's that's a little. Whoa. <laughs> Not that high. <laughs> Not that high. Whoa. <laughs> But I've got all of this We're, in a track, so I can totally yeah. put it as bloopers. Yep, best bloopers How ever. High. Not that high. <laughs> How high?